0: Oh, my mama told me Cause she said she learned the hard way Says she wanna spare the children She said don't give a say your soul away Cause all that you have is your soul Don't be tempted by the shiny apple. Don't you eat of a bitter fruit? Hunger only for a taste of justice. Hunger only for a world of truth. Cause all that you have is your soul.
1: All right, Pastor. This is our seventy-fifth episode. Wow. Yeah, and it's uh, as as you said, it's my finally back had a really good, good break, was able to concentrate on a lot of church projects and and on work, but now I'm back. So I don't know if that's a good thing.
2: It's a great break for me to have you take the helm on this one. So looking forward to it.
1: No, I'm glad in any way that I can help. All right. So, so this week we're we're back to our, to our series interpreting the Old Testament and we're going to, we're going to go over, I think what I think is one of the most popular um, old Testament stories, which is the story of, of David and Goliath, found in 1 Samuel 17. And I'm really, really excited about this one because, uh, like a lot of the passages we've talked about, it's often one of the most misinterpreted or the one that's interacted with in the not, not the best way. And we're going to start with this. There are usually two approaches to Old testament bible stories we, we really only have two choices we either approach this in a self-centered way where, where we the readers are at the center of the story or we approach it in a christ-centered way where, where this points to the messiah or this points to god's kingdom and unfortunately as our audience can probably relate to and they've probably heard this many times is that the popular approach is to approach this in a self-centered way or what's called in a more technical way the the moralistic therapeutic deist approach and this is the view where you see religion you see god you see the bible as just about being it's just about being a good person it's just a guide to just live well not hurt anybody minding your own business and most importantly it's just about being happy it's about these things are meant to contribute towards my own happiness and this is manifest this is this is shown in different ways. This is how whether in Bible studies or preachers, they usually see the story of David and Goliath as Goliath being, you know, some sort of personal problem whether it be your own mental health. You know, it's about depression, financial hardship, difficulty. And you're David, you know, you with the power of God, you're going to overcome depression. You're going to become, you know, financially stable. Um, you're you're gonna go. You're gonna get over whatever relationship problem you're going through, <laughs> and most popularly, you always hear the question, right? What is your Goliath? You know, what what is your problem that you have to overcome? So it, it does take some sort of prosperity, um, you know, flavor to it. And 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 the, the sad part, as 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 I, as I hope that we've been kind of been able to explain. Uh, throughout this this podcast series, is that the sad part about this approach is that it divorces the the, the Old Testament story. It divorces David and Goliath from the overall biblical narrative. It, it becomes so self centered that you that you lose the, the 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 overarching story of what God is doing to bring His kingdom. So now, when we come to the Christ centered approach, the question that is always at the forefront of, that should be at the forefront of our mind is is this story related to the overall story of the Bible? But more specifically, is this story you know, about the promised kingdom and the Messiah? And the answer is always going to be yes. All the Old Testament stories are meant to go towards that direction. So that's that's what we're going to be exploring today. And I'm really excited to do that. But before we do that, Pastor, what, what has been your experience with people's approach to Old Testament stories? And more specifically, the David and Goliath story.
2: Yeah, I think for the most part, it's what you said. It, it's moralistic. You know, David is connected immediately to us. Yeah. And what's missed is typology. What's missed is, David, missed is that David is called as a king. What was the purpose of the office of king? And how does this fit in with the promises that have already come yeah. throughout the Old Testament? It's sort of like you said, it's it's an application. It's jumping to application. So that that's been the most part. And and there's always a challenge as you'll talk about. Once we see David as fulfilling or Christ is fulfilling David's victory, then we connect it to us only afterward. But first we have to see how it leads us to Christ, as you will show.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's 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 the core hermeneutic that we should always have in mind whenever it comes to interacting with these passages. So what I want to do now is kind of, let's, let's see the context. Where where does David and Goliath fit? Not only within the bigger story, but within, you know, the book of 1 Samuel in general. So the first thing we should have in mind is, is God's covenant faithfulness. We have to have in mind that, as we've talked about before, God had promised the land of Israel in victory over enemies to Abraham, to Moses, and to the people of Israel. So when, when we see... David, who is a Jew, who is a son of Abraham, confronting this Philistine, confronting um, Goliath, we have to see this as God continuing his faithfulness to Abraham, Moses, and the people of Israel, and that he has promised them land, he has promised them victory over their enemies. That's what we're supposed to have in the back of our mind always when we're interacting with Old Testament stories, that this is about God's continuing covenant faithfulness. The second thing we should have in mind, especially when the David and Goliath story, is that this is actually a very strange story. It's an awesome story. There's no doubt. There's a lot of action. We have an underdog, you know, a, a, a character that no one would have expected to defeat this this, this this amazing warrior. No one would have expected that. And that's the point. You see, the chapter before, we have an interesting thing. David is anointed to be king, even though Saul was, all, was still being king was still king. David is anointed to be the next king. So whenever we have this confrontation between David and Goliath, what we have going on is, is God is actually confirming his anointing over David. His, in other words, God is telling David that, look, my anointing over you, is, is, it communicates that I am with you, that you will prevail over my enemies, and right that you will, I will fulfill my plan through you. So we see that as a confirmation of his anointing. But more th- m- beyond that, we see something very, very different as well. So, like I said, David anointed, but he experiences a different experience because Saul, a few chapters before, was also anointed to be king, and he was the people's favorite. I mean, people loved him. Um, he was, he was, he was accepted. He was handsome. He was tall. But David's anointing, I mean, he wasn't accepted. He was a nobody. Um, he was a shepherd. He was small in stature. He was, he was the youngest of all his brothers, which is super strange. Why would he be anointed to be king? Why is the spirit of God over him? So the reader is left actually with a little bit, a sense of kind of like, this is a little bit strange. Why would this shepherd, small and young kid, be anointed? Why, why is he chosen to, to enact the plan of God? So that's the first thing we should have in mind this is David's anointing is a bit weird the the second thing we should have in mind is David's victory over Goliath is also extremely strange so often often the the highlight or what's being what's focused uh the focus a lot a lot a lot of teachers and preachers on this passages is, is on Goliath look how look how tall look how big look at the type of enemy he's he's confronting and that's I think that focus is actually mis, mis a little bit misguided. Um, growing up, um, I always imagined, and there was always taught that I mean, Goliath was almost as tall as a first story house. I mean, this this dude was huge. And, and 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 as a kid, I mean, it sounds good to tell it to children; it makes for a good story. But the reality of it, the reality, the reality, sorry, of it is actually a little bit different. Um, the text actually is a little bit nuanced on this. The you see to kind of give our audience a little bit of background when it comes to specific numbers like um like height in this case the the text is actually a little bit more nuanced when it comes to the hebrew the hebrew text actually gives us one size for 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 the goliath the greek old testament actually gives us a different size for goliath so all this to say that it's actually not 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 a set height um i think a, a conservative estimate for Goliath's height is actually six to seven feet. So it's actually, we're not talking about a one-story house. We're talking about just a really regular tall man. So the general point, obviously, is just that Goliath is big and a formidable, formidable warrior, but not at all the focus of the story. The focus of this story, brothers and sisters, is that David defeats Goliath with no armor or sword, but with a shepherd's weapon, a sling and small stones showing that God was giving the victory. So, throughout this whole story we have weird things happening. Why is this kid anointed? Why why is this kid defeating a giant in the weirdest way possible? And that's that's what we're going to explore in a minute. But before we do that, pastor, do you have any thoughts on how people focus on the wrong things in the passage?
2: Yeah, it's kind of what you said. It, it just we all love David and Goliath stories. Yeah. And unfortunately, we tend to treat these Bible stories like Aesop's fables. Even though we might say that historically it happened, the way we apply it is we take a moral from it, like we would Aesop's fables. What is the moral of this story? Well, you can face your giants. God will do this for you. It's assuming you're like David. It really doesn't matter then if it happened, because whether it happened or whether it's just a story, you have the same application. Hmm. So taking the history out of it is very dangerous. Yes. But if you learn that the Bible is one story fulfilled in Christ in the New Testament, then it has to be historical, and it's following a story where David is showing us something about the Savior to come, which is what you're about to bring out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Now, let's flesh this out. Let's start with, with David's anointing. David, David's experience isn't what you would expect from God's anointed, And and, and I say that because let, let's contrast David's experience with, with Saul's experience. So King Saul was also anointed. And in 1 Samuel 10, 23 to 24, Saul is initially loved by the people. I mean, Saul receives zero obstacles to his kinghood, no obstacles whatsoever. He's tall, he's handsome, people love him. I mean, he's he's rushed to the to the throne, like like no obstacles whatsoever. So, so that, that was Saul's experience. Let, let's see David's experience. Despite being anointed to be king, just like Saul, David just faces obstacle after obstacle in just this short, this short um, chapter, in chapter 17. In in 1728, David is rebuked and rejected by his own brother, saying, What are you doing here? Go home, go go back. You're just here to see the thrill of war. He's, he's even initially rejected by King Saul he's saying what you're small you're young what are you what are you doing here you shouldn't be here you know go away and more obviously by, by Goliath Goliath sees him and he's like you know makes the same exact observation as, as David's brother and King Saul saying you know you're small you're a nobody what am I a dog that you come at me with a stick so 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 David just obstacle after obstacle initially rejected by his own family by the king and most obviously, the enemy. So, all this to say, David did not fit the bill. He is not what you expect from God's anointed, young, inexperienced, innocent shepherd. So that's that's that that's what makes the story such such an amazing story. Um, secondly, David's victory is actually another weird thing that happens, and it's a bit comical on how the story unfolds. Um, I, I always kind of chuckle a bit in verse thirty-nine of of, of our chapter because. David was so inexperienced that he couldn't properly handle uh, the armor and the sword. And I know the story usually goes that, or at least it's depicted like David couldn't fit the armor, couldn't fit the sword. And that's not at all what what, what happens. Um, David was actually so inexperienced because he's a shepherd. He couldn't handle an armor and sword. So, like, wh- what is he going to do with these things? And that, that's supposed to be comical because how is a shepherd so inexperienced that he can't even handle armor and a sword go against an experienced warrior like Goliath? What what weapons then does does David choose? He chooses a shepherd's weapon, sling and stones that are meant to keep animals uh, like lions, wolves at bay. It's, it's it's supposed to be so comical. Come on, it, like y'all you, you heard the expression, "Don't bring a knife to a gunfight." I mean, the same thing. You don't bring a sling and stones to 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 a, to, a, to, to war. You know that that that's the point that's being here. And as a side note, I don't know if you've heard of this, pastor, but the the five small stones that that, that David um, gets really have no significance. They're just meant to highlight that you know once again his own inexperience. That that it was actually the Lord who was going to bring the victory, not David. But man, do some teachers take those five stones to be you know the first stone is faith, the second is courage, whatever. That's that's so wrong. Have you ever heard of that? By the way,
2: yeah, because it's a great sermon outline.
1: That that is that is true. Um, yeah it's so weird people people whole sermons whole conferences of the five stones of David but like no not really they really have no significance other than to highlight that David is really bringing rocks to a sword fight but the key passage that 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 is gonna bring it all that, that brings this whole passage together is verse forty seven and verse fifty and I want our audience to hear the repeat the 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 the, the theme that is repeated over and over it, it reads And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David for the reader who who who's been paying attention the verse the, the 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 last part of verse 50 seems almost redundant irrelevant well duh we all know he couldn't handle the sword he's been using a sling and stone. why repeat this over and over because the focus of the story is that the, no weapon of war brought victory but a sling and a stone but but, but beyond the sling and a stone it's meant to show that it was God who brought the victory, not skill, not David's experience, not David's height, not David's anything. David David essentially brought nothing. It was God who brought the victory. And it's a beautiful story because how does it end? It doesn't just end with, with David killing Goliath, cutting off his head, and that's it. No, after the victory, you have a David who was initially rejected by his brother. And what happens? David is elevated to a status beyond that of his brother. You see, you see a David who was initially rejected by King Saul. And then as the story continues, we see a David who is, who is above the king in fame and favor from the people. And then most obviously, we see a David who is initially um, rejected and he's made fun of by the enemy to, to the enemies now running away from David in fear so you see just this complete shift you know in, in the story that just is meant to highlight that God the Lord uses a nobody uses a person like a shepherd to defeat the most adamant the most um the most amazing warrior that's out there and, and, and any comments pastor on on the on these two points
2: well yeah just that you have the gospel here and yes. that's, that's the whole point is that the kings were types of Christ throughout the Old Testament. That's what kings did is, is not only did they temporary rule, but they pictured the one who would rule his people eternally. Yes. And so the king is also a savior. And so David is a deliverer. So all these point to Christ. And during, during the time of Christ, one of the main reasons he was rejected is because he was a common man exactly, with a common upbringing. And they were expecting a military warrior. Hmm. And yet they had no excuse because here is the greatest Old Testament deliverer, and he's a common man with no military training. And so here the Lord is preparing Israel for the Messiah, not to be shocked or surprised if he rises up as a common man and delivers through the power of God and not the power of of warfare. And yet they rejected Christ when they had all this uh, preparation in the life of David. Hmm. And so in the story, David does become the deliverer. He's the picture of Christ delivering us from our enemies. And we are the ones that are watching and being delivered like the Israelites who could not feed Goliath defeat Goliath yes and so as you do the vertical in a moment we can see how we can even apply this as Christians but first we have to see David as a picture of Christ and how Christ um, defeated us I'll let you get into that with the horizontal
1: yeah and I mean this is where Matt Chandler I think summarizes it very well in his famous sermon you're not David and I think it became a meme that became very popularized and I mean I think he captures it like you said very Right, because he captures the the Christocentric focus of the passage. The, the David is a type of Christ. This is this is this is this is, this, this story is meant to is is communicating to us. You know how is it that it's meant to be a picture of, of how God was going to bring forth this kingdom and defeat man's ultimate enemy, namely sin, death, and Satan. So it's interesting because Jesus, like you said, Jesus was also a nobody and and that's why people never liked them people a lot of people found that to be the most weirdest most revolting thing because they expected a warrior and just like david who was just a mere shepherd jesus was just a nomadic poor carpenter from nazareth and like david who had no sword and armor yet it was Jesus who was the messiah who was going to bring forth the kingdom of god and and, and i really like this type of the, the question this this question how was it that christ was victorious over death, sin, shame, and Satan. How was his victory? Was it through an army? Was it through weapons? It was through the cross. And that's 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 that that's that's so weird. That's so shocking. I know we I know we're just so familiar with the story, but we, we have to have in mind how what a shocking statement that is, especially to outsiders. And I think that's Paul captures that 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 in first 1 Corinthians one twenty seven when it says God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. The means by which Christ defeated death, it was through death at the cross. The way, the way Christ defeated sin, shame, and Satan, was through a, a, a torturous means through the cross. But this, this, this is the way. This is the way that, that that God, in His in His infinite wisdom, chose to choose something that is weak to shame the strong, to choose something, a, a, to choose a nobody to use the, that word, to to bring forth ultimate life and ultimate victory. And it's interesting, because as we as we kind of like think about the horizontal, how this how this um, how this passage points towards the Christ. I want us to have in mind that yes, David was a great warrior. Yes, he was a great man of God. But notice this: David lived the life of war and strife his whole life. As we read the story of, of David, um, he he was always continually afflicted by his enemies from the outside. And even from enemies from this, from the inside, where even his own son rebelled against him, and his very life was at threat from his own family. You see, David still lived a war, a life of war and strife. But he trusted that the Messiah will bring ultimate victory and rest. And that's exactly what our Messiah brings, what our Christ brings—an end to the war and end to the strife in the second coming. And we experience that, that 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 initial victory, the beginnings of that victory, in our own lives as our heart is transformed as our heart is, is renewed by his spirit. And, and that leads us to the vertical. It's interesting because after, after David killed Goliath, what happens? The, 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 the Israelites go from cowering in fear to now empowered and encouraged, and they were able to defeat the Philistines. And that's, that's a beautiful picture of, of exactly what happens when we place our faith in Christ. Because Christ is our greater David. Through his victory over sin, death, shame, and Satan, what happens? The church, his people, are empowered because we share in that victory with Christ. So in a sense, in Christ, we are like David. We're we're not at the center of the story. But once again, when we look at the text through a Christocentric lens, we benefit with what Christ benefits. So if Christ has victory over these things, we also share in his victory. We also share in his glory. We also share in his reign. So in this sense, we can relate to this passage and find comfort. Why? Because we are nobodies in many ways. We are weak. We're struggling. We're not perfect. And I know that sounds repetitive, but that's the reality. And yet God chose us, the, the nobodies, quote unquote, to participate in his kingdom. To part- God chose us to participate in the victory that his son has. So, it, it, it's a beautiful story, David and Goliath, of how God continues to be faithful, not only to Israel in that time, but he continues to be faithful to us in all of life's troubles in Christ, like he was with David. So do you have any, any thoughts, Pastor, on, on the vertical and horizontal? Yeah, as
2: far as the horizontal, one of the clues in First Samuel that David's victory over Goliath is a picture of Christ's victory over Satan which held us imprisoned until he freed us through the gospel, is that in chapter 5 of 1 Samuel, you have the Ark of the Covenant. And um, remember, they carried the Ark into Dagon's temple, and they set it beside the idol, the statue Dagon. And when the people in Ashdod rose early the next morning, Dagon's statue was fallen with his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. And it's the same phrase that it's used for Goliath. That his head is cut off mm. and he's fallen before David, before David. So there's a defeat of the spiritual enemies of God's people. Uh, first it happens with the power of God in in that idol temple, and then it happens with David. Yeah. So it's picturing something greater. Mm-hmm. It's picturing a spiritual deliverance that only Christ could give. And then as you said, um, being in Christ, we share in his victory. Yes. And so we have the Holy Spirit, which is a reward for Christ's work that he shares with us. Mm. Um, we have forgiveness of sins. We have eternal life. Even when we do good in the face of evil, uh, we are kind to our enemies. That That's considered a victory over evil in the mm. new covenant. When we persevere, we talked about this last week, we conquer when we persevere in suffering. Mm-hmm. We are more than conquerors. So it's not as the modern moralism, you know, you can, if you just have faith, you can beat depression and poverty, um, et cetera, et cetera. That's a very worldly, selfish view. Yes. But it's everything that we share in Christ. Sorry. And then, as you said, when Christ returns, it, it becomes all physical
1: it, you know and it was interesting because i was talking with my wife megan about this story a little bit and we were talking about how the the moralistic approach to this makes the david and goliath stories what a constant battle because if, 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 every, if, if every problem in life is just another goliath then man that life sucks right i mean it's just battle after battle that it depends on you right to to defeat this to defeat that and what if what if you still struggle with these things? What if what if the, the depression ever leaves? What happened if you the financial struggle remains? What happened if you're the strain in your relationship remains? Is is that reflective on your own lack of faith? I mean, the, the story fails. And and if we look at the story as some sort of self-centered, then I think it ultimately leads to disappointment in this life. But when we when we look at it through a redemptive historical lens, you don't see life as a constant battle of a bunch of Goliaths and you know that you just have to fight through. Well, you see, but you see the story of David and Goliath as Christ defeating the ultimate enemy, once and for all, where, where every where every struggle and every challenge that you face in life, you look at it through the lens of Christ, and you're like, wow, I share in his victory, meaning that in the second coming, all of this, is there's an ultimate defeat. I don't have to fight because Christ has already fought. I, 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 I am passive in the sense that I share in his victory. I don't have to earn this victory. I don't have to fight for this victory. I have Christ, um, the victory that Christ enjoys. So so we, so we, the beautiful part is that not only do we relate with David, but I think there's, there, there, there's a sense where we are greater than David because David was victorious over some enemies. But in Christ, we are victorious over greater enemies, over the enemies, where Satan, sin, shame, and death. So the beauty of this passage, when you look at it through a Christ-centric lens, is that you don't... You're not only victorious over some some minor things, like a minor enemy or a political enemy. That no, in Christ you see you see you see the bigger picture, where where you ultimately inherit the new heavens and the new earth, where you are ultimately free from all oppression, not some oppression, all oppression in Christ, and that 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 will be fully experienced and fully realized in the second coming. So that I think once we once we shift focus from a self to, to Christ, there, there's greater comfort and greater glory in this, in this story. So yeah, any, any final thoughts, Pastor?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people, and, and me included, there was a lot of times in our Christian journey that we really knew the Bible. We knew the Bible stories. Um, we had studied the Bible. But we just couldn't put it together. We didn't understand how the books related to each other, how the stories related to us. And when that finally happens, when you study covenant theology, study guys like Carhartes Voss or Graham Goldsworthy, you know, guys and women that really focus on how to see the Bible, a Bible as one redemptive story fulfilled in the new covenant. The whole thing opens up in new and glorious ways that you're not trying to falsely apply all these stories, yeah. You know, you see how they're fulfilled in Christ, and like you said, it just leads to sl- leads to slavery when you do it that way, because we're always failing. Um, you know, we're never as good as David in that sense Very to true. defeat our Goliath.
1: Very true.
2: So the Bible just becomes beautiful, and it also verifies that it's divinely inspired because once you understand it's one story written over thousands of years by so many different authors, there's no way that could have happened without divine guidance.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, a bunch of different stories with religious themes, yeah, you know, man could create that. But one woven thread of redemption predicted and fulfilled, uh, no, that has to come from above. Mm-hmm. So the beauty of seeing it the way you're explaining it is is, is just very helpful and encouraging.
1: No. So, yeah, that, 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 I hope that was um, helpful for a lot of our readers, uh, sorry, readers, for a lot of our audience, um, kind of understanding this, um, this story through uh, a different a different lens, a Christocentric lens. And, and I hope that this can be helpful, especially when interacting with other Old Testament stories as well. So, Pastor, do you have any, anything that we should expect for next week or are you um, coming up?
2: Not yet, but thanks for doing today's study.
1: Oh, no, for sure.
0: Oh, my mama told me Cause she says she learned the hard way Says she wanna spare the children She say, don't give a say your soul away, cause all that you have is your soul. So don't be tempted by the shiny apple, don't you eat of a bitter fruit. Hunger only for a taste of justice, hunger only for a world of truth, cause all that you have is your soul.